know how you do follow that, Meg. You, I don't think you can fully follow that. It is interesting, though. You know, um, uh, we're in this series where we're asking the question, like, do I stay or do I go? Asking the question about Christianity. Like, like recognizing the times that we are in, the state of the church that it is. Whatever our answer is going to be, it has to include the costume show that we just saw. I mean, those kids, right? Because it's not just about, like, you and I, like, where we personally drawn towards or inclined naturally to. It's about those kids. What are, what are we actually giving ourselves to for the sake of the children that are coming after us? What kind of seeds are we planting that will flourish, ideally, into the trees that we want to actually see grow? Um, my name is Matt Moberg. Glad you guys are with us tonight. Thank you for showing up tonight. I, I want to come out of the gates, and I'm putting an emphasis on it with that Slap of the hands right here. You guys received some texts, some messages that might have like been like um, all hands on deck, panic attack. If you're not breaking out in hives, you should be. Not our intention whatsoever. I mean, honestly, I just want to say that right away because that, that's not our intention. We don't want you to be like um, that that I just described. But we do want to say like there are needs in our community that we do need to properly address as a community, not a top-down thing, but a side-by-side togetherness that we're going to respond to the different problems that we are facing, the deficits that we have. But I want you to know out of the gates, you can breathe. Everyone take a deep breath in, nostrils preferably, through the mouth, we're okay, okay? We're in a series. Um, do I stay or do I go now? And tonight we're going to talk about, I want to do tonight is just set a basic framework for what, abstractly I would say just generosity. Can I take off the sweater? Is it too casual? Am I okay right now? Am I showing too much skin? I don't know. It was holding me back. You know what I mean? Um, abstractly I would say generosity, but honestly like because I've already come out of the gates and named it, like we're talking about money. We're talking about like what is the biblical call? What is our, like as a community, we are people who profess like to practice the ways of Jesus. By creating spaces for everybody that we know in this room, outside of this room, to know that they are beloved and to know that they belong. So what does it look like for us as a people? This is not Debbie and I talking to you. This is Debbie and I with you talking like to ourselves as well. What does it look like for us to sustain a community fiscally? I want to couch it though in the larger conversation of what does generosity mean for us. Before I get that there though, I do want to always say this before any kind of sermon I get. I almost didn't say it, but I want to make sure I remember to say it. The number one thing we want you to walk out of this room with is even on a night like tonight where the panic flags, Gino, I saw you breaking out a sweat earlier, where the panic has been sent up. Everybody's a lot of clicking. I'm sorry, Mitch. Is that me? My bad. The number one thing we want you to be aware of tonight is that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. I can't underline and overstate that enough. I don't care who you are. I don't care about your commitment to this community or some other place or some other institution or where you might spend your days. It's important. It's imperative that you understand for the, your sake of your own flourishing and to see how God's going to move through your story for the bigger story that we can all be edified by that you get a grasp on the reality that who you are is more important than what you do. Even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Let's start there always. Now let's talk about the series. We are in this series, Do I Stay or Do I Go? I've said about five weeks in a row now, but we meant to um, do a, a real mimicry of the Clash song. 
Turns out their song is Should I Stay or Should I Go. I really like confessed my ignorance when I said, you know that 60s band, The Clash? Turns out they're 80s or 90s. I'm not that familiar, okay? Cards on the table. I haven't really dabbled. Gino, I saw you get on your high horse and judge me last time, and you won't do that this week because I'm coming in full humility and saying I'm not that well-versed in the ways of the clash, and so I apologize. Do I stay or do I go? It's not an assessment. I know that when a church holds a series like this, it's like kind of a smile and a wink to the side to say, like, I know that we are asking collectively, should I stay Christian or should I not? Should I stay Christian in light of all of our traditions past harm that has been inflicted upon the masses that have been perpetuated into the present? Should I stay Christian in light of all the healing that is happening on behalf of good people like many of you in pursuit of working in collaboration with the good God that we pursue? The question of do I stay Christian, do I stay or do I go, wherever it is that you may land, both yeses and noes are warranted. And we cast no shade upon any of them. It makes sense, whatever makes sense to you in this space. For us, you're here tonight on a Sunday night, and you're going to be with us next Sunday night because we are a yes. We are still claiming this tradition as our native tongue, the place that we set our feet upon, where we are planting our roots inside of. But we do so with some kind of reluctance and hope in our steps. We're not like spared from that as well. I mean, you guys, when we started this community, just because I feel like it's very familial, so I'm going to go, I don't have much notes tonight. It's going to be a lot of ranting. Lenny, tell me if it's too much, though. I appreciate you. <laughs> you know, when we started this community, one of the beauties of our communities was like, we, we're not out to protect the institutional church. We're not inside of a denomination. We recognize that there is a hole inside of the big C church that was not making space for everyone to belong for everyone, to know that they're the beloved. And so we set out after it to figure out what does it look like to create a community like the one that we have right now where unquestionably you can walk inside of these doors and be dignified as a human being, but not just that, as also a child of God. That's what we've been going after the whole time. That is still what we are going after this whole time. For the past few weeks, we've been answering this question of do I stay or do I go? We've been giving you our yeses. Now we've shifted to the hows, and we've gone through them in the past few weeks. What I want to talk about tonight, though, is the investment side of things. Uh, when we ask, like, how do we stay in this community? How do we stay as Christians? When I survey, the, like, the fiscal realities of where we are, when I survey just the future to what it is asking of us, there's not a like, shade of doubt in my mind that we're going to have to have all hands on deck. That's not just pockets. Matter of fact, I was telling Debbie this past week, I said, you know, what's interesting, Debbie, when the pandemic was off the charts crazy, casualties left and right, the peak of the pandemic when things were as ugly as they possibly could be, the Timberwolves were having their season and nobody was coming to the arena. And when I would show up there and nobody was there, it felt like the games didn't even really matter. I didn't actually realize it until like after the fact, but you know, there's something about a community, an organization, a movement, a flow, where if not all hands are on deck, if there's not bodies affirming with their presence that this thing matters, there's not a thing that actually matters. It all is consistent with the flow. So when we talk about investment, when we talk about the needs at hand, we talk about this call for all hands to be on deck, it's not just about money, it's also about presence, but let's specifically talk about money tonight. 
I've been thinking about this recently. Maybe it's because it's like the season of giving. In the time when it's like we're going to spread good cheer and hold doors for people. Is that not the season? Maybe it's just for me. Maybe I am alone in that season. I don't know. About six I apologize for bursting out of the gates too much. I know you're not used to these like overwhelmingly good sermons, but tonight is one of those anyways, where was I? I was talking about about five or six years ago, or maybe it was five or six weeks ago. It does not really matter. I found myself waking up one morning where I was like, we were fresh out of coffee. I was looking for some caffeine. So I went to Starbucks down on, on France, went to Starbucks, got in the line, but it was a three hour line. That's what it always is at that point. And when I got there, I placed my order, got to the cashier's window, and the lady who was behind the, the screen from me said, hey, um, good news. I know you just gave me your card, but the car in front of you actually just paid for it. Now, obviously, like for me, like that's welcome news. That's, just, that's great news. I don't have to pay for my morning caffeination. And like you got to understand, like out of empathy just for me, I'm not somebody who receives a lot of goods. I work in a very hostile working environment. I'm not, I don't mean to be pointing at Debbie, but you can understand where I'm coming from right now. My, my mom said I needed that. My mom, I just want to be clear, my mom. This is not what bursting out of the gates looks like. Debbie looks so nervous right now. Can I carry on with my narrative? Went to that counter, gave her my credit card. Lady said, not needed, not necessary. The car in front of you already gave it. So I'm like, that's fantastic. Can you tell me how, you, how they, they, why? What's the why? Did they give you any kind of why? Well, what they said was about five hours prior to, another car had given their credit card for the car that was behind them. And so there was sort of this love train that unfolded. And now you can understand, as somebody who is kind of traditionally, Phil, yes to you, somebody who's kind of traditionally more, um, haters will say cheap, I will say frugal, like um, I was going to gratefully receive the, the free coffee that morning, but I was both like touched by the moment, but now troubled by the moment because I realized that like, oh, the love train... <laughs> It's, it has to continue. So it's on me now whether or not the whole thing goes on. It falls on my shoulders now. And so I said, okay, so this thing's been going on for a while now. Obviously, as a pastor, I haven't sinned since seventh grade. Um, far be it for me to, like, slam on the brakes and shut this thing down right now. I go, what's the damage on the car behind me? The lady goes, $33.42. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I said, do you take? payment plans. <laughs> and um, and um, she said, no, sir, we don't. And um, uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed about this. I know I'm telling you this openly, but I've come to terms with it a little while ago, so I can say it openly now, but I don't want you to miss the shame inside of it. I started patting down like breast pockets as if my t-shirt had a breast pocket. And I slapped like the sides of my pants. I said, you know what? Oh, I forgot my wallet today. As if I was expecting a free coffee the whole time. Okay. I, start, I go like, ah, I, honestly, I would love to continue. I would love to foot that bill. Trust me, somebody like me, I can foot that bill. It's not a big thing. But um, I ran my wallet today. 
and I start, as I'm about to like shift from parking to drive in my car, lady looks at me and goes like, sir, your, your credit card is still here. <laughs> I am not kidding you. I'm not being overdramatic when I tell you right now that me looking out that window and deep into her eyes, it was like everything stood still and went slow. I reached for that credit card, looking deep into her eyes, and she's, looking, she's about to puke looking back at me. She's like, you know what you have done. All I could say was, bye. And, and then I drove away. Shut the love train down. I guess the point that I'm trying to bring up right now is we consider money and we consider generosity in the ways of the church. The church that we are trying to be is, when you receive good gifts, does that compel you to be a good giver? Like when you encounter the abundant economy of grace that you and I are inhabiting, that we move and we have our being within, does that actually compel you to actually live congruently with the grace that you have received? Or do you live with like white knuckles instead of open palms? Cars on table, I just told you my story. That's not a one-off. I am frugal. I do get anxiety around this stuff. But I am compelled by this call in the gospel, not just from the stories of Jesus, but also that is like embedded inside of every call from Paul to live with open hands, to recognize that all of the things that we call our possessions are actually God's provision. And so does that change the way that we steward the things that we say that we have? There's a story that Paul writes to the church in the Corinthian um, province. And he writes this to the church and he says, you know, there's this plight in Jerusalem. The Christians there, they've gone, they're broke. Can't keep the lights on, can't get a job. The food is here and there, kind of episodic, not consistently something they can depend upon. He writes this. He says, now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Now, Paul, you're talking to the church in Corinth. Why are you talking about Macedonia? Well, Paul talks a lot about the church in Macedonia. It comes up again and again in his letters about 16 times in total where he brings up this church. He's got a bias towards the church. He's inspired by how they live, how they love, how they choose to not just say what they're about, but be what they are about. He says, I want to tell you about what's going on in the churches in Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches. Fierce is, is an understatement. Famine, starvation. Like the church in Macedonia, from we know from a historical context, they were facing hardship like few of us could ever properly comprehend. Losing kids, losing family members. Fierce trials is what they were up against. Pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. Underline that word if you have your Bible out right now. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. An outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there, I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could. Actually, let the record show that it was far more than they could afford. They chose to live a life of generosity that didn't first consult with affordability. Pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous. I did not tell them to do this. I didn't twist their arms. There's no manipulation techniques applied. They did this on their own. They caught us completely off guard. 
that line this morning when I read it today, it jumped out to me. The, um, the pressure triggered something totally unexpected. 2016, 15, Debbie, we start this 15 or 16? 16, 16, correct? 2016, we started this thing. And we went to Knox Church. And we had all kinds of questions and very few answers on how do we actually be a church. We just knew that we needed to start this community. In the midst of trying to, like, keep budgets balanced, people happy, can you come to church? Can we do this real thing? Can we keep getting after what we say we are about? I was sick all the time. At one point, it actually drove me to the hospital with different kinds of, like, chest pains. And, like, I just I can't keep carrying the weight that I am right now. One of my friends who tends to be more empathetic than I am, he sent me a letter in the mail, card in the mail, and the front of it said, pressure creates diamonds. I think it's true. I mean, the little that I do remember from seventh grade geology class, I do think that is true. That is, that is a, a factual statement to make. Pressure does create diamonds. Pressure also creates other things as well. Because as much as pressure can create diamonds, Pressure can also bring destruction. Pressure can create some kind of masterpiece, but pressure can also like end a marriage. Pressure can build up some like precious crown outside of a bland rock, but pressure can also build up an addiction. Leave you hanging on the lips of something that you do not belong to and yet you are enslaved by all of a sudden. So pressure can expose different kinds of things. It can be beautiful, it can be burdenous, it can be good, it can be bad. It's not a one-size-fits-all. What I learned, though, over the past few years and in reading the letters of Paul is that pressure, how it's going to actually force what's in you to come out of you, it's not so much about, how you, about what you are holding, but how you are holding what you have. How you are holding what you have. I said this earlier today, but like the idea of are you white knuckling or, or, or open palming this thing. The Macedonian Christians had little, but they gave much. Their generosity did not first consult with affordability. The pressure that was applied upon them in their dire circumstance that Paul wants to make sure is driven home to the Corinthian church. is like, let's make it plain right now. The poorest of the poor in the family of Christ that we claim they felt the, the, the fierceness, the sharp angles, the edges of like what it actually means to have nothing. And from their poverty, they still poured out. The pressure triggered something beautiful in them. The reason why Paul is bringing it up to Corinthian church is because he wants to know what is, his, what is different about the Macedonian church that the circumstances at hand provoke them to be generous and open-handed that is keeping you passively settled in something far less. He goes on to say, Patty, can you show the next part in 2 Corinthians? He writes this, that's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate, you're insightful, I see the retweets, I see what you care about, I see that you are aligned with the gospel at hand. I see that your heart is in it for real, you're not just bark, there is some element to bite. You trust God, you're articulate, you're passionate, and furthermore, you love us. But be about the sacrifice as well. When you come together on a Sunday evening, Corinthian church, and you say, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, please understand that if that kingdom is actually to come, 
there will be costs attached. And the only kind of love that is worth any kind of bite is one that has some kind of sacrifice embedded within it. Please be about this too. I'm not trying to order you around or against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, by showing you the story of those who didn't have anything and how they gave everything and more, I'm hoping to bring out the best in you. I hope you feel some kind of like pastoral pressure embedded in me that I'm bestowing upon you. I heard that like crackle on my lips there. Is my mom going to reach for a drink again? Is that a one-time thing? What Paul is trying to say, what I want to make clear for us is we think about the challenges that lay ahead for the table community. So we think about our kids walking through here with their costumes. We started this community. It's a Mickey Mouse operation that I couldn't love more than I do right now. What's the kind of church we want to have in the future for Jack Keller, for our kiddos? The Macedonian church, they were inspired by the love of Christ, the life of Christ. Paul already said it wasn't his idea, it was their idea. It was organic, it wasn't imposed. And Paul was trying to say that they looked at the life of Christ. Who was Christ? The one who was rich but considered himself poor. The one who had nothing but bought a whole village worth of lattes for the cars behind him. Who is Christ for us today? Gosh, I, honestly, the cringe factor, whenever we talk about money in this church, the reason why we don't do it very often is because, heaven forbid, like you misinterpret us as I would like more Gucci to have in my wardrobe or a private jet that I would like to accompany. Debbie and I, we need to, if you want the gospel to come forth, we need the private jet to actually be ours. That's not what this is. I don't care about those things, but I do care about the future of the church. And I care about communities like ours. Debbie, we're not going to be here forever iPad off, no suicide. We're not going to be here forever. I don't know what the future of Debbie and I looks like. I don't know what the future of our community looks like. But I do know on a bare, Lauren's with the kids. I was going to look to her for support. Lauren and I stayed up late last night talking about, like, whatever the future may hold, good, bad, ugly, whatever is in between, we need a church that continues to bring people in and not curse those that they believe are out. We need a church that continues to contest realities on the ground, the things like Christian nationalism, bigotry, hate, the things that are passively and religiously ordained as normal, though they are not whatsoever. We need churches like ours that are on the fringes of society that can continue to insist upon the good news being good news for all. Otherwise, I don't believe in the church. We're asking this question in the series. I'm trying to like break it down right now from a monologue type perspective where I'm performing some kind of, that's my like, you know, that puppetry day. You know what I'm saying though? You did, you do. My heart was in the right place. We're not trying to like, I want this, I want us to recognize the dire state of the church. I want us to recognize that actually. Let's start there. The church, the pews are being emptied. Um, people are actually, the church is being exposed. We have talked about this on again and again every week. What does it look like for us to be the church? What kind of church are we insisting upon must survive, must be sustained, must continue to be an edifying force for all? I am not saying whatsoever that we have it all figured out here at the table. Heaven, we don't. 
I do. Debbie doesn't. We, we collectively, though, don't. We don't. But I will insist upon this reality that we have to be actually be faithful. And what fidelity looks like for us is actually creating, sustaining, and insisting upon this church in the future that is not reflective in the norm. And if we don't do that, then what are we? Paul says the Macedonian church gave beyond what they could actually afford. What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? I'll couch the conversation in the particulars we'll get into later inside of that right there. Debbie, your turn. You good? Yeah. Are you good, though? Are you sure you're good? The floor is yours. If you want to get on your feet, I'm just sitting up here right now. My sweater's been off for a while now. I mean, I'll walk away. that felt a little convoluted, Matt and I are going to speak together just for a couple minutes right before the benediction. But it is a moment that um, I was thinking when Matt was talking about this outpouring of pure and generous love. I was thinking about the God that we follow, the Jesus we aspire to, to practice his ways. And it's life-changing, just like it was for the Macedonian church. It's been life-changing to each and every one of us. We aren't the same people that we were yesterday or six months ago or a year ago. Because of experiencing God's love. And so when we gather here on Sunday nights, this rhythm we have of remembering that love, it's a rhythm of taking communion together. And so that love, the generosity that Matt was describing, that love we know through the person of Jesus. That's what we celebrate when we take communion, when we break bread. So on the night before Jesus died, he was with his community, his disciples, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant. And when you drink from this cup, remember me. So as you come forward during the music, um, there'll be people standing here and they'll have bread and they'll have juice. You're welcome to take that bread and dip it into the juice. There's also a basket with the little um, cups that you can take back to your seat if you're not comfortable yet. Um, taking up here in community. But as you take that bread and dip it into the cup, you'll hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, out of generous love. So if you'd stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, glory forever.
take a couple minutes. I think I'm glad that Matt acknowledged in the front end of this. Um, this, as I said this, I think last year is my daughter-in-law, who's a doctor, always says this is uh, kind of an urgent conversation, but not emergent. We're not an emergency sort of situation. I, um, I thought Matt's message was really good. He he came back and felt like. Okay, that was a private conversation. First of all, Debbie, unbelievable what you're doing right now. But carry on, please. Don't let me get in your way. Here, here's what we wanted to talk about tonight, and that's we do have an ask. But what I wanted to say on the front end of that is that often throughout the story, especially as we've come out of COVID, right, we've been uncertain. It's been shaky ground. Like, what does it look like to be the church? And even though we joke a lot about things being messy and he's funny and all this stuff happens, what, what you guys need to know is... If, <laughs> Wait, what? How does that tie into anything? What are you doing right now? <laughs> I'm sending you over here like, you take the lead, and this is what you're doing with that? <laughs> I gave you a full-fledged green light. I did not see it playing okay, out like this. Carry okay. on. In, in, in the spirit of being fully transparent. But I think, um, I think one of the things that is true, if you guys knew the conversations and some heartache and the passion and commitment that we both have had along with our team and our leadership, our board, at being a flourishing community and redefining that because it really isn't just money at all. For us, it's about connection and stories shared and life done together. And so sometimes in those moments um, on Sunday nights when it feels like, wow, where is everyone? There's not that many people here. We're reminded over and over again about the stories, about all of our stories and how they're connected and how important they are and how it's part of God's bigger story. And so Sometimes when it feels like, oh, does this matter? Is this important? Because like Matt has said over and over again, and, and I stand by, we're not being the church for the sake of checking a box. We're being a church because it matters. It matters to be connected to God and to one another and to continue to aspire to practice the ways of Jesus because our call as human beings is, is to make the world a better place to be in it together. And so when I think of those things, I was watching those kids and I was remembering when we started out five years ago, we had six preschoolers and four or five babies. You know, on Easter Sunday, we had 51 kids. So we are committed to the growth and the flourishing of this community. We're actually amazed at the generosity of this community. And so one of the things that we just wanted to be completely transparent about is that, and we have a letter coming out next week is that each month we are $2,400 over budget. What I want to say to you though is, and I do want to commend our board and I think our staff, we are committed to being good stewards of our money. And it's important for you to know we have no debt. We have money in the bank. We just don't want to run out of that money. And we want to continue to see our children's program grow, our small groups grow, our connectedness, these times like when we're at Women at the Table last month and we're all hearing from Lynn Giovanelli and we're connected in a way that you can't put words on. It's important. All of what we do matters. We were talking about our budget the other day and here we are, we're over budget. We're under budget. I'm not a finance person. <laughs> under budget. That's good clarification. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we leave that to Jake Schmeezy and Mark Harmon. They take care of that for us. Um, but guess what? We have almost $8,000 in our Afghan refugee fund. 
you know, this is a generous community, a community that cares about not just this community and our kids and the flourishing, but the larger community in the world. So here's our ask. We know that it's hard times, many people are not able to, but if you're able to increase your monthly giving, just a little bit, every little bit helps. If you're not a recurrent giver, we ask you to consider being one. It's really helpful for us as we plan our budget moving forward. And again, I just want to emphasize our commitment to being good stewards of the gifts, of your gifts, and also the call to continue to jump in, help with our kids. We need people on the facilities team. We want people to be part of this community and to invest. So I was going to let you speak. What did you want to say? Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess what I would say is that like absolutely yes to everything you said, but also we're just in a unique moment right now as Americans, as human beings, as we try to steward the resources that we do have for the betterment of the world around us. And I think it's imperative that you and I invest in things that matter. That might be the table is one of those things. Invest in things that matter. It might not be the table that is one of those things. Like this is a time where love actually does look like costly sacrifices we ascribe worth to others outside of ourselves. And so I, I guess as a community, as we, we kind of have this conversation, this is unique, I understand that, but like, let's just put it on ourselves. If we are actually about practicing the ways of Jesus for the sake of everybody, knowing they are beloved and they belong, let's also ask ourselves the question of like, are, are we doing, are we going beyond the parameters that our comfort limits have asked us to go? And are the places that we deem to be the most significant actually being fed with the resources that we have? It's not about what you have. It's about how you hold the things that you have. Are they possessions or are they God's provision? Let's close out. Um, if you would, could you stand on your feet one more time for us? Kids, I'm so glad you guys are here. If you would hold out your hands, receive these words from the heart of God. Lord, we are trying to make our way forward in this community. More questions than answers, lots of ambiguity, lots of love, lots of people coming together trying to be a family in the midst of the crazy times that we are in. Bless this community, Jesus. And friends, this is for you, no matter who you are, what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed. Know that in this community, there will always be a spot for you. There will always be a seat for you. We will continue to pull out that chair for you because you are a beloved child of God, period. And beloved, you belong. That's the song that we sing. That's the claim that we cling to. We love you guys. Stick around for the meal afterwards. It's going to be happy. Debbie's doing sign language. Jay's got a word, too. Just kidding. I would never throw that to you. All right, so I hear that some people over here have maybe heard that there's candy <laughs> somewhere inside of this church, but you're going to have to work for it. Uh, it's not just going to be given to you, unlike God's love. You're going to have to, you're going to actually have to work for this one. God's love is free, but the, 
but the uh, the candy is 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 a uh, is works apparently. So uh, there are five different stations throughout this church, and the candy is hidden. What is going to happen is that you are going to receive clues as to where that candy is. What's going to happen, though, is that if you are a kid who can read, you're probably going to go a lot faster than kids who can't read. Am I right? Probably. But do kids, do kids who can't read deserve to still eat candy? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So what's going to happen is that kids who can read, if you're going faster, you're going to need to listen to the adult at each station. You cannot take more than the amount of candy that they're allowing you to take, and you need to make sure that there is room and that there is candy left for the others, okay? If you are in preschool or younger, you need an adult, so maybe one parent or an older family member, or you need uh, an older sibling to walk with you through this, okay? It's to ensure your safety and to ensure that uh, you don't get knocked over in the, in the hunt for this candy because we know that. I also realize that you all could probably take a seat if you wanted. Uh, all right, so what's going to happen is that uh, Matt is actually going to start us off with the first clue. And from there, you are going to try to think, what does this clue mean and where am I supposed to go? You will go to that place, you will get candy. There will be another clue. You will read that clue and you will go to the next. You will end at dinner. So if you're staying for dinner, then you should find your parents. If you're not, then you should find your parents to leave, all right? Clue number one. We're not messing around this year, you guys. Listen up. I'm only saying it once. Unless you're my child, I'll tell you multiple times. <laughs> Clue number one. You will first find candy where you always check in. Run! But safely. <laughs> Scatter. We'll see you guys at the mail. <laughs>